Woke up quick at about noon. Welcome into the podcast, the May 18th edition of the podcast presented by Vibe Health Bar. This is a, a very rare, it, it's so rare, in fact, it's the very first time that I have ever re-recorded a podcast. Some of you uh, may have actually gotten two editions of the May 18th show here on this Monday. I, I recorded the show this morning, normal time, everything totally normal as I do it. And it just, as I was, as the show was like flowing, as it was going on, I was like, yo man, this this isn't good. Like the, the, the show has no flow. It has no rhythm. Like I'm not delivering my points properly. Like what, what, like what is my problem right now? And I'm just like battling through the show and it's just like, get through it. Like it's fine. Everybody has ups and downs. And you know, I, I got the show artwork together, posted it, everything totally normal. Grabbed the girls, took them out for their walk. And as we go on the walk, I do, and this is something I never do. I pulled up the podcast and started listening to it. And I, I generally can't sound, can't stand the sound of my own voice. Like I can't stand going back and listening to stuff unless I, you know, I absolutely know that I have to. And I went back and I listened to this and it was like, oh, this is, this is not good. Like it's not good. It's not concise. It's not like terrible or anything. And some of you may have already heard it. Some of you may be wondering, what the hell is this podcast up on my, my, my feed again? This is an entirely different version. But that first version, like I railroaded it on Bob Costas for like 10 minutes because of his hate of professional wrestling. Like I tore apart the NFL for that ridiculous, you know, incentive thing that they've created or, or, or are voting on sometime this week as it pertains to, you know, hiring minority coaches and general managers where it's going to like improve draft stock. It's like, dude, what is that? Like, so I wound up spending 20 minutes on that. And then it got like super harsh and I'm listening to this like this, this isn't like the best representative of like what this podcast is. And I always have this feeling and I used to have this when uh, I used to have this when, you know, we were doing the radio show as well, where it's like, well, what if someone is listening for the very first time? Like if someone tunes into the show for the very first time and this is what they hear, can you be proud of it? And I know, like, I've had shows in the past where it's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yesterday's show wasn't very good. I know it wasn't very good. Or, you know, there was a show this week that was bad. Like, I know that that stuff always happens. Like, as much as I try to be flawless five days a week, like, I very much know that that's not the case. There are some days where I walk away from a show going, oh, it was a good one today. Like, I I felt really, really good about what we did today. And I can usually tell by your feedback if, if my thoughts on a show was correct. But this one was just like, this just was not good. And it, again, it's funny that like it's out there in the world. I think it's, it's, if you, if you're, if your podcast automatically download, you probably already have it. And so now you can hear and compare and contrast to, you could probably go back to listen to that one and go, Oh yeah, this is sort of, what was wrong with you that morning? So I, I normally it's just when that, cause that's happened, like I think one other time before where I recorded a podcast and I posted it and I was just uncomfortable with it and took it down. And then there was a time I, I, I remember that I recorded a podcast and when it was done, it was like, I'm not posting that. I think those, I think this is only the third time it's ever happened, but I remember recording one going, well, I just wasted, you know, like 57 minutes of my life. Cause there's no way I'm posting like that. That was garbage. So I like got the dogs for a walk and I thought, man, I'm just not gonna just no show today. And I was like that dude, that's weak. It's like eight 30 in the morning. Like just, re-record the podcast and just 
record it more concise, like deliver your points clear. Maybe you're a little more awake this time. Maybe you're a little more fluent with your thoughts. I don't know what it is. Uh, but for some of you, this is a bonus edition. For some of you, you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And this is just the regular edition of the May 18th podcast. Either way, uh, I appreciate you so much for tuning in. And if you heard the other episode, sorry. If you sat through that, man, you are as loyal of a, a loyal fan as could possibly be. And I can't thank you enough if you sat through that entire episode. And again, it's it's not like the show wasn't boring. I just knew that I wasn't sharp. You know, it's one thing to have like boring content. Like if you have boring content, which is really easy to do right now. But if you if you can't find a way to liven up your content, if you can't find a way to, you know, connect with the people that listen to you, that, that's just on you. And sometimes you know, that happens. Sometimes it requires less of having sports knowledge and more, you know, critical thinking. Like when you've got a three hour show, whether there are sports going on or not, you better be able to critically think because you have to bring up uh, points multiple times in multiple different ways. Like the one thing about a, a three hour radio show is, you don't. we used to plan like the way, the way I used to lay out a show is you'd have a, a three hour radio show, but we would have five hours of content. And I would rather leave stuff on the cutting room floor than be searching for stuff, you know, at, at you know, 130. Because what would ultimately happen is you really need about an hour and 45 minutes of content, of new content. And then you would run back some of the same content because you're taught, you know, well, your audience changes, your audience recycles. And it's a little bit different in sports than it is in other um it's like like sports and news. It's a little bit different as it is like FM and FM. They tell you, yo, you you fifteen minutes. You got a new audience every fifteen minutes. Every fifteen minutes, you got a new audience. You got to plan for that. You got to repeat. That's why you hear the same songs over and over again. That's why you hear the same contest pushes over and over again. That's why you hear the same stuff over and over and over again when you're listening to FM radio for an extended period of time. Is because on that side of that aisle, you're taught. Well, the audience recycles every fifteen minutes on the. AM side, it's completely different. On the sports talk side, it's completely different. Like we didn't have an audience that turned over every 15 minutes. We had an audience that turned over like every 65. But what we had to do was, well, if we're going to talk about, let's say the Kings, right? Or, or in this case, let's, let's talk about real life stuff here because this is what we're dealing with. We're going to talk about the last dance, right? Let's say we're going to talk a lot about the last dance at the top of the show at 12 o'clock. Well, at two o'clock, we're going to have to talk about the last dance again. And instead of just running back everything that we said at 12 o'clock, we have to find ways to uh, engage a new audience, but keep the people who may have been listening at 12 still interested and keep ourselves interested. So we're not just here repeating each other, you know, re repeating things that we already said, we're just over and over and over again, saying the same things. Because it's not, it's not, you don't have that same impact. If you're just delivering the same content at 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock, you're not going to deliver it. You're not going to deliver the same content the second time as you did the first with the same, you know, authority, with the same emotion, with the same reaction. You have to find a way to kind of repackage it and present it. And so we had the content today. I just didn't deliver it well. And I have ideas. Like I have tons of notes in front of me, all, most, you know, from the last dance. Like I have a couple of notes. Like, you know, as, as I as I realized, I talked about this stuff on the, you know, the we'll call it the the lost edition of the podcast today. The Chargers considering Cam Newton, Anthony Lynn said that to you know CBS this weekend. Like that's not really news. Like we all freaking knew that. We knew they considered it. Of course they were going to consider it. He's Cam Newton. They needed a quarterback. Of course. I don't know why I felt the need to wedge that in there. And I remember on Friday when Jim Trotter tweeted about the 
the draft pick incentive, the draft position incentive, you know, for hiring um, minority coaches in the NFL. I thought, oh, oh boy. All right. I don't know that I'm going to be able to keep my agitation as fresh on Monday as it is now reading this tweet, but okay. I mean, you probably have all seen it. It's I don't know how this story is going to develop here throughout the week, whether this is something that they're actually going to vote on. I can't imagine that it's being received very well. I can't imagine that it's being received very well by minority coaches. It's terribly insulting. It's absurd. And I really haven't seen it reported in a lot of other places. I don't know if people saw the reaction to Jim Trotter's tweet and kind of backed off of it. I don't know if if, if this is 100% accurate, but it. I mean, Jim Trotter works for the NFL. I'm pretty confident this is accurate. It's going to be voted on this week that if, uh, you know, as, as an incentive for NFL coaches or, or it, uh, for NFL owners to hire minority coaches, uh, it, it cre- cre- you know, you get increased draft incentives. So you can improve your draft positioning by hiring a minority coach. And I just wonder, like, who's that good for? Okay, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it's good for the coach. It doesn't feel like it's good for the general manager because you're going to anger your fan base thinking, well, we didn't go out and get the best candidate. We just went out and got this dude so we could get a better draft pick. You know, that stuff is going to happen. So I, I kind of wedged that in there, but I'm going to put all of that like aside. And if you got the lost edition of the May 18th podcast, you could go back and, and, and listen to it. I really don't know how many people have it because I I deleted it from the 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 server that goes out to the main thread but a lot of so i have like one host server the way podcasts work if you're not familiar you have one host server and it sends your podcast out to itunes and uh or apple Podcasts or whatever it's called you know google podcast spotify radio.com it goes out to all of those and when you subscribe to a podcast normally what it does is it automatically downloads so now the download is on your phone so the fact that I deleted it from the thread doesn't really matter unless it didn't automatically download to your phone. Because even as I look at my analytics board and see how many people have listened to a podcast today, it's clear that some people still have the lost edition of the podcast and are listening to it even though I deleted it from the thread. Um, so there's a long explanation as to what happened uh, this morning and why the podcast is, for most of you, uh, posting late here in the day. But let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about something that we've talked about uh, every single Monday uh, for the last five weeks. And then I guess this is our postmortem for the lost dance as after two and a half years of, of hype and after five Sundays and 10 hours of TV time and eight hours and 46 minutes of runtime, the last dance came to a conclusion last night. And it was, you know, it, I, I enjoyed the first episode. I remember equating, I, I, I say episodes, but I, I really mean the first night, the first night of episodes. I equated those to the old Jordan videos, like come fly with me and Michael Jordan's playground and all of that stuff. And, you know, seeing things from him in college and some of those old interviews with James Jordan, some of that stuff and thinking, okay, oh, that, that's nostalgic. Like I, I like that. And then episodes three and four, I think that's what we got like a Rodman in there and we got a little bit of Scotty and it was kind of like, ah. Uh, Okay, I, I didn't love this, but five, six, you know, the business of Michael Jordan, which I think was episode five, and then as we got into episode six, you know, and then the, the incredible storytelling arc of, of episode seven and eight, that was as good of like, they need to make sure that this gets, I think if I understand this correctly, how it works, they need to release this in the theater for one day. 
And I think if you release it in the theater for one day, it becomes eligible for um, like Academy Awards. They need to make sure that this is this is released in the theater for that one day. So this is eligible because this was the those, you know, episodes five, six and seven and eight. Those stand alone, and then the story arc of six and seven, or, or uh, the story arc for seven and eight, do those? That's a that's Academy Award winning right there. That's as good a storytelling as you could possibly get. And I feel like it concluded just like uh, I, I didn't know what I was looking forward to in this last weekend. You know, I knew at some point we were gonna, you know, he, he was gonna have to talk about his dad. I knew at some point he was gonna have to address the gambling, and he was gonna have to address baseball and. You know, they, they, they talked about the baseball strike and how he wasn't going to be a scab and all of that stuff. And like, those are the, you know, those are the juicy things. We knew that the Steve Kerr stuff was there. I did wonder if there would be any other kind of revelations in terms of, uh, you know, behind the scenes turmoil, if you will. Uh, but I, I didn't really know what to expect this episode. And it was kind of like it just, it came to a conclusion and it, it's not that it was bad, like there was there was nothing bad about the episode, but I just don't know that there was anything particularly memorable uh, from this final two hour stretch. And I I equated a lot to the first two hour stretch where it was it was good and it's a, a nice reminder of how great Michael Jordan is, but I don't know that there's anything memorable to it. I I know the talk today is the the uh, it, it's not actually the flu game, it's the food poisoning game, and the story about Jordan ordering you know, pizza and, and him eating it all by himself and, and no one, uh, you know, no one in his, his camp of, of the, you know, some of the characters that we've gotten so familiar with through the course of this documentary that uh, none of them are allowed to eat it. So, so the full story goes uh, from the way I heard Jason Hare tell it on the uh, Dan Patrick show from the way I, I heard the, the director tell it on the Dan Patrick show this morning is the story goes, I, I don't know if Jordan was at a team meeting or, or, or something of that nature. And, the rest of, of Jordan's team, they ate. They ordered room service without him, and then he got back, and room service was closed, and he was mad that everybody ordered without him and, and, and didn't get him any food and all this stuff, so they find him, you know, the pizza place, and his thing is, uh, you guys ate without me. You guys don't get to eat any of my pizza, and so I guess he spits on the pizza to keep anybody from eating it, and that's why, you know, he, he they tell the story as, Jordan's the only one who ate the pizza. Well, that's the reason he's the only one who ate the pizza because he spit on it and he wouldn't let anybody else have any because he was mad at them, which was the theme of the entire 10-hour documentary is that Jordan was mad at somebody. He was mad at them for eating without him. So, you know, he goes to eat the pizza and we learn that I guess it's a, it's a he thinks it, it was food poisoning and it wasn't the flu. I know there's a lot of, you know, they tell the story of five guys coming up to deliver the pizza and trying to see them to do it. Like, I, I feel like you could poke holes in a lot of that. I, I don't know that, not that maybe they're trying to elaborate to a, make a better story. I mean, it, aren't deliveries usually made in the in the lobby? Do they ever, like, actually send someone up to the room, especially? And maybe in 1998, it's different. You know, because I, I don't think in 2020 that uh, DoorDash shows up at the Sawyer downtown and they, you know, okay, yeah, head up to room uh, five twenty-two or whatever it is. I, I feel like that stuff has to get checked in at the at the desk. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do just head up to room five twenty-two. I also don't think that, you know, I don't feel like, hey, this is Michael Jordan. Can you bring me a pepperoni pizza to the Marriott? 
in Salt Lake City. It's like, how did they, you know, he talks about how five guys were trying to, you know, peek in and see Jordan. It's like, how did they know? Because there's no way that Jordan ordered the pizza himself. And maybe at the lobby, someone said, oh, yeah, run it up to, oh, by the way, that's, run it up to room, you know, 520. By the way, that's Michael Jordan's room. I, I mean, I don't know. There's so many, there's so many questions regarding that. And I don't think anybody is going to stop calling it the flu game and start calling it the food poisoning game. Uh, the flu game just sounds better. Plus, that's what we've been calling it for 22 years. So that's what we're going to continue to call it is the flu game. It it really, whether it's flu, flu or fruit poisoning, it doesn't change anything. But that's kind of the only revelation that came out of this. And it wasn't even really a big one because he was all, all we knew that we was sick. The revelation would have been if he was like, yeah, the rumors were true. I was hung over. That would have been a revelation. We absolutely could have called this the hangover game. I, I don't mind switching from the flu game to the hangover game. I'm not switching from the flu game to the food poisoning game. Those are, those are in the same family. Hangover and flu, they're not in the same family. That would have been a revelation to walk away with. Food poisoning, not so much. And so you just kind of, you, you get in here and, you know, the, I, I remember the Pacer series. I remember how competitive it was. I remember it was a bit contentious. Like, uh, it was fine. I remember the bank shot that uh, Jordan took after, after Reggie shot. Like, you know, the, 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 the stoic clip of Larry Bird is so great. That was such a great shot of Larry Bird after the Reggie Miller shot went in. So, so good. And I remember the shot banking in and out. It, like, I remember the series. I remember 96 through 98 really, really well. And I remember thinking as, as last episode came to an end, and I think we talked about this last Monday as well. Like, how does this conclude? Like, how, how does this, how do we wrap this all up? And they, you know, the, the overall arc of the last dance was, they attempted to kind of soften the heel persona of Jerry Krause there at the end because Jerry Krause was the ultimate bad guy at the beginning. Like he was painted clearly as the bad guy at the start of, of the series in episode one. By episode eight or what was episode 10 yesterday, the, the, the last episode, they were like, yeah, oh, you know, Phil thanks him. And Scotty was like, yeah, no, he's one of the greatest general managers ever. And they, you know, it's, it's really, you know, it's, they, they really kind of softened uh, the beating that they had given him some seven hours earlier. I still think it's weird that they didn't acknowledge he's not here. Now, they could only because, you know, he was, he couldn't be interviewed. I just thought it would have been appropriate to acknowledge, like, a, you know, Jerry Krause passed away in 2016. Uh, I thought that would have been appropriate. And maybe they didn't feel the need to because there are other people who chose to, you know, not participate that maybe they didn't think it was a glaring, uh, a, a glaring omission that Jerry, because I don't think it's universal knowledge that Jerry Krause isn't alive, especially considering I, I think there were probably a lot of casual sports fans, not necessarily basketball fans, but sports fans that were watching. And maybe they're not aware that Jerry Krause passed away like four years ago, three, three or four years ago. And so, you know, you have the Jerry Cross. But by the way, Carl Malone wasn't it glaring that Carl Malone wasn't a part of the documentary last night. It it seems like when you play someone twice in the NBA Finals, that you know he was, you know, him and John Stockton. You know, Stockton was an addition on um, March tenth of this year. That's when they did the interview. 
I heard Jason Hare tell the story that they couldn't, they, they had to make the decision to not travel to where John Stockton was because, you know, the COVID-19 outbreak had just, you know, we, you know, on March 10th, remember we were, that was a day before the NBA season ended. It was two days before sports were, uh, as we know it, completely shut down. And it was uh, right before California put in uh, shelter in place and other states, you know, started to follow. That's how late that interview was done. And I, if I remember correctly, the way he told the story was uh, they had to set up a local, basically a local production crew to do the interview with John Stockton and the directors for, for the Los Angeles, they were on FaceTime and that's how they were conducting the interview. They were on FaceTime, but it was being shot by a local production crew. And then the, you know, the, the production, you know, video was, was sent to them and that's how it was implemented. Uh, but they didn't talk to him until March. And, and the reason it took so long is because John Stockton didn't want to do it. The, the original thing that, you know, when they presented it to him, like, here's, here's what we're doing. We're working on a Jordan. We're working on a, a documentary for Michael Jordan. John Stockton was like, eh, I'm good, man. And then they contacted him again. Like, Hey, you're a really important, you know, piece in this. And yeah, I don't really want to be a part of this, you know, fluff piece for, for Michael Jordan. I'm good. And they had to convince him like, no, 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 no. That's not what this is. And then they laid out what the last dance was going to be and how they were putting it together. And that's when John Stockton agreed to do it. Carl Malone said no. Carl Malone said no through a variety of third-party people. And they tried to set it up even like they told Carl Malone's people that like, hey, you know, if it's, if it's more comfortable, we could talk to you and John Stockton at the same time. And Carl Malone was just like adamant, like, no, we're not going to do it. Um, so he was he was one who didn't want to do it, and Byron Russell didn't want to do it either. Uh, those were two guys from this last episode who just didn't want to talk about Michael Jordan. And Byron, Brian Russell I can sort of understand because you're only getting really asked two questions, right? It's the fact that he actually, the fact that Michael Jordan actually has a Russell story is funny. Like, cause who, like, if you have a Carl Malone story, like, all right, cool. If you have a John Stockton story, you've got Isaiah Thomas stories, you got Detroit Pistons stories, you got Reggie Miller stories, Indiana Pacers stories, New York Knicks stories, Patrick Ewing stories. That, that all makes sense. We're talking about Hall of Famers, top caliber teams, all of that stuff. It totally makes sense. But B Russ? Like, <laughs> like what? You, you got a B Russ story? Like, okay, all right, Mike. And, and if you, if there is one takeaway, from the 10 hour, this was like an extended version of his Hall of Fame speech. That's, that's the best way to put what this 10 hour documentary was. It was an extended version of his Hall of Fame speech because the Hall of Fame was our first introduction into, you know, what people who know Michael Jordan call like the real Mike. Like that, that guy you saw at the Hall of Fame, the guy who is driven by competitiveness, the guy who has like a constant chip on his shoulder, that's Michael Jordan. That was our first look into that. He was always this carefully crafted, you know, public personality, similar to the way uh, Tiger Woods is, was. I, I think Tiger Woods still kind of is. Uh, it's, it's, it's a carefully crafted public personality. And then the Hall of Fame got here, and it was just like, I'm here now. I'm, I'm just taking the gloves off. I'm going to let everybody know who I am. This was, this was 10 hours of that version of Michael Jordan. The hyper-competitive, constant chip on his shoulder. That's the takeaway. Again, go, we go back. What did, what, did, what did you learn? What did you want to learn entering this 10 hours? When you decided you were going to commit the next five Sundays to The Last Dance, 
did you want to learn anything? And if so, what? I don't think there was anything to learn. Except, except that he's actually even more competitive. We knew that we knew that competitiveness is what drove Jordan. He's actually more competitive than we thought. He actually has a significantly bigger chip on his shoulder than we all thought. And 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 you can't like after watching this, you can't be upset that that's what drives Michael Jordan because you know there's going to be plenty of people poking fun as I just did that he has a B Russ story. You know, that he, 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 the George Carl story. George Carl didn't say hello to him at dinner. We were four minutes into the episode last night. Four minutes into episode one last night before Michael Jordan uttered the phrase, well, this was personal for me. <laughs> like every matchup, every finals matchup, he found motivation in something. He found motivation in George Carl snubbing him uh, when they were at the same restaurant. Like he, he, he finds it, and that's what, that's what makes him great. That's what we were tuning in for. That's part of the reason we were tuning in, right? Let's get a look into Michael Jordan. What makes Michael Jordan great? Well, what makes Michael Jordan great is his competitive nature, his relentless competitive nature, his artificial competitive nature, and the sizable chip on his shoulder that no matter how many championships he wins, no matter how many scoring titles he wins, what was the motivation behind uh, the the Utah Jazz series? What was the motivation? What did you use to you know to go out and beat the Utah Jazz? Well, it was the fact that Carmelo got the MVP. That's as honest answer as you're going to get, because we have the conversation you know in 2020 about LeBron James, how LeBron James year after year after year is the best player in professional basketball, but. The writers of America, they're not, or, or the voters, the people who vote on the Hall of Fame, the media, they're not going to give it to LeBron every year. They want to see something new. Well, they saw someone average a triple double. All right, then we're going to give it to Russell Westbrook. Well, we saw James Harden have an extraordinary year, but we're going to give it to James Harden. We saw Giannis Antetokounmpo have an incredibly efficient year. We're going to give it to Giannis Antetokounmpo. When all of that's done, the fact is LeBron James is still the best player in basketball. Charles Barkley wins the MVP in 1993. Charles Barkley had a fantastic season. He had an absolutely incredible season, and that Phoenix Suns team was really, really, really good. Carl Malone had a great, great year. Anybody think from the years from 1991 to 1998 that there was a better basketball player in the league than Michael Jordan? You break him down without knowing the results of postseason awards, and you just look at 1991, you look at 1992, and you look at 1993, then you look at 1996 and 97 and 98. You're not going to find anyone who had a better year than Michael Jordan did. And it seems trivial, it seems silly, but that's what he used as motivation, and that's what we were. That's what I was looking for in this documentary. What makes him great? That's why we read, you know, books from past presidents. That's why there are motivational speakers. That's why there, you know, people make a living off of this stuff. This is how you be great. Michael Jordan is arguably the greatest at what he's done. Well, how did he become great? Michael Jordan might be better at his job ever than anyone has ever been at theirs, at least in per- as it pertains to athletics. There's a legit argument that Michael Jordan is the most important athlete ever. Now, you could say, like, Michael Jordan is the greatest athlete ever, and then you're always going to have the, you know, what about Jim Thorpe? Or, you know, people are going to have these random things about, you know, Carl Lewis and these different Olympians. So I'm going to rephrase this and say Michael Jordan is the most important athlete in the history of sports. And I don't know who's second. You could probably make an argument for Tiger probably 
but I, 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 I don't know who would, who it would be. I just know that it's the, the most important athlete, the number one, if you're making a list, number one is Michael Jordan. And you can have the argument about whether who's a better basketball player. Maybe when LeBron James' career is over, you go, well, who, who was LeBron James the greatest ever? Or was Michael Jordan the greatest ever? And you, there are people who have, there's legitimate arguments to say that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player ever. Absolutely, 100%. Nothing about this documentary changed my mind on that. You can 100% believe that LeBron James is the greatest player ever. But in no world can you say that LeBron James is more important to professional basketball than Michael Jordan was. Michael Jordan is the single most important individual to ever play a sport in this country's history. And text me who, like, if, if it's not Jordan, then who is it? And if it is Jordan, who's second? I don't do as good of a job as I should about giving out the text line, 916-888-5898. Uh, for those of you who don't have that number, you're probably the reason that I re-recorded today's podcast because you might not be as familiar with the podcast. We're pushing this podcast platform out on uh, various different shows now. We've got Patreon and all of this different stuff, and I want to make sure you have the number that you can connect directly with me anytime you want to, even if it's to tell me uh, that I'm full of crap. 916 888 5898. Another thing that I was uh, thinking watching last night, and I know this is random because I didn't expect I didn't expect the Steve Kerr feature last night. Uh, that 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 caught me completely off guard. I'm certainly you know glad they did it, and it makes a hundred percent sense uh, why they did it. But as I was watching it, I was left with a hmm. Steve Kerr, pretty good ball player. He hit a very very uh, memorable shot against the Utah Jazz that wound up winning them the. NBA championship. He was a winner in San Antonio. He was really a winner everywhere he went. What is Steve Kerr going to be remembered for? And I know after 10 hours of a Michael Jordan documentary or 10 hours of a, you know, 1990 Chicago Bulls documentary, this is a weird question to have. But coming out of last night's episode, it was one of the notes that I took is what will Steve Kerr, like if Steve Kerr retired and if Steve Kerr was done with everything that pertains to basketball right now, this was it. It was over. What would he be remembered for? Would he be remembered for that shot against Utah? Would he be remembered for as a kind of a critical puzzle piece? You know, never a star, you know, never a Jordan, never a, a, a Duncan, never a, a Pippen, never a Robinson, never anything like that. But, but an important piece. Or would he be remembered as, you know, the Warriors coach over you know, a, a tremendous, I, I guess it's, you know, five-year stretch now. Maybe Steve Kerr is most remembered for not taking uh, his buddy Phil Jackson up on his offer to coach the New York Knicks in probably the, in not probably, in the greatest decision uh, of his life. He didn't take that job, and he took the job at Golden State instead. But I, I, I don't know why, as they were doing that feature on Steve Kerr, and that was, that was a great feature. That was a very, you know, I knew the story, uh, but to, to, to see it, you know, play out, that's a, that's a very powerful visual. It's a very, you know, powerful moment. And I never thought of the, you know, the correlation between, you know, Steve Kerr's dad being murdered, obviously entirely different circumstances than what happened to, you know, James Jordan, Michael Jordan's dad. Uh, but still, you know, the the loss of father, the loss of, you know, your father in, in, in a very violent manner. I never made that connection. And apparently it's it's not, it's according to the episode last night, it's not something Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan ever talked about. 
Uh, that, that, that was a great feature that I wasn't expecting last night and left me walking away with that question. So I'll pose it to you. What will Steve Kerr be remembered for? Will he be remembered for that shot? Will, be, will he be remembered as a player? Or will he be remembered for you know, this stretch here? And again, this, this is operating under the assumption just if, if it ended today, if he retired today, if he said, I'm, I'm, I'm not coaching anymore today. Because he may come back you know, next season. They, they may win you know, multiple more, more titles. He may have a, a long and storied coaching career, which was Trump anything that he did as a player. And, and you, could probably, you, you could argue that everything that he's done as a coach has already trumped what he's done as a player. Which is why I'm posing the question. What will Steve Kerr be remembered for? Because right now I still, you know, he coached a 73-win team. And it, it, it's, it feels so insignificant that they won 73 games given that, it, that, that they won that 73rd on the same day that, that, that Kobe Bryant scored 60 in his finale. And, you know, Kobe Bryant took all of the attention off the winningest team. You know, Kobe Bryant on his non-playoff-making Lakers team uh, scored, uh, you know, 60 points in his final game and took off the, all of the attention off the winningest regular season team in NBA history. And a lot of that, you know, there's no question what happened that day. There's no question at all what happened that day. But the 73-9 and nine is certainly marginalized when you realize what happened a few months later. I think that's because I always, like, forget that, oh, yeah, the Warriors did go 73-9. and nine. But it's so marginalized because they didn't win you know, the one game that they had to, that game seven, they didn't win it. And so they were a 73-9 and nine team. They didn't win the championship. It's the same thing that happens with the, with, the, uh, with the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots had an undefeated regular season, but they, 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 they didn't have an undefeated season. They had an undefeated regular season. It's a big difference when you lose that last game. When you lose the one game that you have to win, um, I'm going to watch this again. I'm absolutely going to watch this again. I'm definitely, uh, I'm going to watch the entire series again. Uh, I'm absolutely going to watch those middle episodes. I'll probably watch those middle episodes pretty regularly. Um, especially, you know, that it's available on Netflix without the commercials. Um, you can watch it, you know, a little bit quicker than you can on, on regular television. So instead of watching, you know, seven or eight episodes of, of The Office in consecutive order and wondering where the last four hours of my day went, uh, I'll just watch. Uh, I'll put on The Last Dance instead. I told you when this started, I was watching like I was watching Come Fly With Me and Airtime and all of those videos that are available on Amazon Prime. Man, and that was fun. To, it's, it, 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 was, it was funny because I, I think I watched Airtime first, which was, you know, Airtime is set in 1992. And so it goes through the. You know, it, it starts with, uh, you know, them beating the Lakers and heading into that next year and how great that 1992 team was and goes to the Dream Team. And then, the, you know, it just talks about them beating the, the Blazers, goes to the Dream Team, does all of that stuff. It even addresses, um, I think it talks about gambling a little bit in it, uh, the trip to Atlantic City, all of that stuff. The, the Jordan Rules book had just come out by Sam Smith. Like, all of that stuff was in there. And it was funny because it's like 40 minutes. It's like, you know, those, those old, you know, NBA entertainment VHS tapes were, they were so short and you're watching a, you know, a, a, a 10 hour documentary and you just got done watching, you know, two hours on the, on the 92, you know, Bulls team and the Blazers and then into the, into the, um, into the Olympics and all that stuff. Whereas, 
on this documentary, like you're 20 minutes in and you're going, oh, wow, they already, they already beat the Blazers and we're off to the Olympics. Dude, this is wild. And then, you know, 40 minutes later, it's over. Like, man, our consumption, boy, th- th- these 30 for 30s have, have changed our, uh, the, the way we consume. We, we want, we want deep dives. Uh, speaking of, Dude, I I don't th- I I told you last week I wasn't sure I could do I I can't do the I don't think I could do the Lance Armstrong thing. Dude, that clip and I don't know if I missed this the first time, but I saw it yesterday and good god it was glaring when he said this is the truth as I remember it. I remember oh I'm good fam. Nah. I'm not giving I'm not getting I Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls can have 10 hours. You, I'll give 10 hours of my life to the Washington Wizards version of the Chicago Bulls. I'll give 10 hours of my life to Michael Jordan's thinking into drafting Kwame Brown. I will not give four hours of my life to Lance Armstrong's bullshit. I think I'm going to have to sit this one out. I, I, I'm, looking for, uh, I'm looking forward to the Bruce Lee one. Uh, I'm looking forward to Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. I'm more, I'm, I'm curious about Bruce Lee because I really don't know a lot about him. I know Doug Christie is a huge fan of Bruce Lee, but I, I don't really know a lot about Bruce Lee. Um, I know, you know, h- how he, you know, started L.A. and Hollywood. Like, I, I know kind of that portion, but I really don't know much else. I think the Sosa McGuire thing, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in hearing what McGuire says because he's, he's admitted to performance-enhancing drug use. I want to know his regimen. What is what were you taking? How frequently were you taking it? When did you start taking it? When did you realize you were a lying fraud? You know all of those different things. And I'm does Sammy is does Sammy use an interpreter? Is he a part of it? And does he admit that he cheated? Because he's never admitted that he cheated. Because he never got other than the corked bat. He didn't get caught in terms of cheating performance enhancing wise. Just like. Barry Bonds technically never got caught cheating. Barry Bonds hasn't admitted it either. Roger Clemens has never admitted to cheating. But McGuire has. So I, I have curiosity there, but dude, that that phrase in that trailer, man, that that got me. This is the truth as I remember it. <laughs> nope. Nah, man. You you've already proven yourself to be a fraud, dude. I can't I can't mess with you. So I, I think I'm gonna have to sit this Lance Armstrong one out. Of course, I say that now. And then, you know, I end up changing my mind and watching it. He's such a phony dude. He's such a fraud. He's so fraudulent. It's, it's, it's nauseating. Um, I had a couple of statistics on version one of today's podcast, the lost version of the May 18th podcast, about uh, clutch shots um, in postseason, in postseason history. Uh, it, it feels like Michael Jordan never misses a game-winning shot. Of course, we saw two of them last night, one against the Pacers and one against the Utah Jazz. Uh, but you never see those in the highlights. <laughs> you never see those in the highlights. And highlights show you that Michael Jordan has never, ever missed a postseason shot, a postseason game-winning shot. When, in fact, Michael Jordan is uh, 9 of 18. He's 50% on potential game tying or go-ahead field goal attempts in the final 24 seconds of the fourth quarter or overtime in his postseason career. Could you name all nine that Jordan made? There's a question for you. Could you name all nine 
game-winning or game-tying shots that Jordan made during his postseason career. But he's 50%, 50% from the field. His closest contemporaries, Kobe Bryant, was 7 of 28 in those same situations. Potential game-tying or go-ahead field goal attempts in the final 24 seconds of the fourth quarter or overtime. 7 of 28, that's good for 25%. LeBron James, 10 of 27. 10 of 27, that's 37% in those clutch situations. Now, if you expand this to the 13 different players to win an NBA MVP over the last 20 seasons, they shoot on average 29% in those situations in their playoff careers. And none of the nine players with at least 10 shots shoot above 40%. So even uh, in, in this isolated situation, Michael Jordan still stands above everybody else. Dirk, for example, shot 39% in these situations. LeBron James, we just mentioned, 37 Steph Curry, any guesses? 29%. Again, this is a minimum uh, 10 field goal attempts. Game time uh, or, or go ahead. Kevin Durant, 25%. Kobe Bryant, we just laid out 25%. Steve Nash, 23%. Russell Westbrook, 10%. 10% on game time, go ahead field goals in the final 24 seconds of playoff games. James Harden, 8%. 8. It is a single digit 8. 8%. There have been four go-ahead shots in the final 10 seconds of the NBA Finals clinching games uh, since the 1976-1977 merger. Jordan has been on the court for the last three, and he scored or assisted on the last two. Of course, he made the shot over Russell in 1998, and he assisted on Steve Kerr's clincher uh, the year before. Listening to Steve Kerr tell the story of Jordan kind of whispering to him like, hey, you know, if they double me, like I'm, I'm, I'm coming your way. <laughs> and listen to listen, listen to Steve Kerb. You know, tell the story is so like fantastic, because he's like, yeah, Jordan is. You know, Michael's. You know, aware of where all of the cameras are, and he's very quietly telling me, hey, uh, if they double team, you know, I'm looking at you. <laughs> and Steve Kerr starts shouting. It's just great to hear Steve Kerr tell the story. Hey, yeah, yeah, I'll be ready. If they if they double you, I'll come off and I'll be ready. And it's like he's sitting there like a bonehead doing that, and it's it's great. And then when they showed the clip of Kerr uh, at the rally talking about um, uh, that's my story and I'm sticking to it when he talked about Jordan saying, oh, I'm not very comfortable in this situation. Let's give the ball to Steve Kerr and, you know, everybody's laughing and all of that stuff. I looked at that clip and thought, man, if Charlotte ever gets to an NBA Finals and they're taking on like the Golden State Warriors, this is this is gonna be my this is gonna be the the moment that pisses Michael Jordan off. And when we're doing, you know, part two of the last dance or part two of the Michael Jordan documentary in twenty years, they're gonna ask him, Hey, what motivated you in the Charlotte series? Oh yeah. 50 years ago when Steve Kerr made that joke uh, about Phil Jackson uh, calling the play up for him. Yep, that's what it was. I knew I had to kick his ass then. All right, man, I think that's all I got on the last dance. Um, as we are our 43rd minute into uh, this game. Oh, I do want to point one, one more thing out. Uh, we were talking about the flu game a few minutes ago, and that game is, is isolated. Uh, for its greatness, uh, 
and and rightfully so. That, that, that game is absolutely uh, it's it's a, it's a marvel, and and you know we got a glimpse of that last night. But what's been lost in talking about the flu game is what happened around it, and the fact that the Bulls had lost games three and four uh, in Utah, and Game four was arguably the the worst finals game of Jordan's career. He had scored 22 points, but he was 11 of 27 uh, from the field. He, he had three turnovers. He didn't shoot a free throw. He didn't shoot a single free throw for the only time in his 35 career NBA finals games. And in that game five where Jordan was sick, so were the rest of the Bulls. Now, they weren't physically sick, just on the court. They were nauseating. Anyone not wearing the number 23 shot 19 of 45 from the field. They were two of six in the fourth quarter. Thankfully for Jordan in the fourth quarter, he scored or assisted on 18 of the Bulls, 23 points, while the Jazz themselves only scored 16. That was another jarring thing. Of course, Jordan hits the uh, the go-ahead three-pointer with 25 seconds left over John Stockton. Uh, to give them the 88-85 win. That was another jarring thing about the series is to see that games used to end at 88-85. To hear Phil Jackson talk about the Utah Jazz, you know, being the second leading scoring team in the in the, in the league at 100 points per game. That would be good for like bottom three in the NBA today. And then all of Jordan's defining moments, you know, aside from 92 against the Blazers and the flu game here, most of Jordan's iconic shots, and I don't even know that this three-pointer is iconic. I think it's the game in itself that's iconic. So really, you're just talking about really you're just talking about the '92 game one, Portland Trailblazers, the shrug and all of that different stuff. Most of Jordan's iconic shots are like dunks or jumpers, like mid-range jumpers, like the, the final shot against Utah of his Chicago Bulls career. It's a mid-range jumper. The shot against Cleveland, it's a mid-range jumper. The turnaround on Gerald Wilkins, the <clears throat> Jordan stopper in the playoffs in 1992. It was a, it was a turnaround jumper, mid-range jumper. These guys didn't shoot threes at this time. And that was something that really you know stood out uh, through the uh, near 10 hours of this documentary as well. Uh, another ridiculous stat with that game five win. We had just mentioned that the bulls had lost uh, games three and four in Utah with that game five win, the flu game win, the bulls avoided a three game losing streak. Jordan did not lose three straight games within a season from November 7th, 1990 to November 7th, 2001 an 11 year streak that spanned 631 games. Um, no other player has approached that. The closest is Draymond Green. He went 431 straight games without losing three in a row. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast today, uh, thank you so much. You have no idea the disaster that you missed. In the first go-around of the podcast, if this is your second time listening, you are the most uh, uh, loyal fan base on the entire planet, and I cannot thank you uh, enough for giving me that mulligan there uh, to start the morning. But uh, this is a little bit more clear, a little bit more concise, and I feel a little bit more comfortable with this episode, and I appreciate you so much 
for listening. And we'll be back tomorrow with more here. Oh, by the way, one quick note, as I don't think I plugged uh, the Patreon account today, patreon.com slash Timmy Barling, the new episode, or I should say the second episode of the Relive podcast, which is available right now exclusively for Patreon uh, subscribers is uh, going to be available today. It's CM Punk and John Cena in Chicago. Uh, it is available early. The podcast does not officially launch until June 3rd, but you can listen to the first two episodes over on patreon.com slash Damien Barling right now. So go check that out uh, or go to DamienBarling.com and click the orange button in the upper left-hand corner to become a patron. We'll be back here tomorrow with more on the podcast with Damien Barling.